History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 265th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. On this episode, we're going to a country we've never been to before, Taiwan. We're going to be talking about some legends and haunts in that island country. And I'm going to be joined by listener Whitney Zahar, who actually lived there for a time and suggested this location to me. Before we get into that, though, we want to welcome some people into the spooktacular crew. Chelsea. Brandy, Louisa, Edith, who spells her name E-D-Y-T-H-E, very unique, Lauren, Leslie, Glenn, and Paula. Welcome, everybody. And now, this moment, Naughty. Marie Taglioni was one of the most famous ballerinas in the world. She was born in Sweden to Italian choreographer Filippo Taglioni. In 1822, Taglioni made her debut as a ballet dancer in Vienna, and people went crazy for her. Before long, she was famous across Europe. She introduced the era of romantic ballet and launched the image of the ballerina in a long white tutu with point shoes. Women wanted to copy her hairstyle. Her most famous role was in Les Selfides at Paris Opera, which was a ballet created by her father. Ballet was set in Scotland and featured forest fairies and witches, and Taglioni wore transparent fairy wings. The ballet was so popular that Les Selfide dolls were made. Even Queen Victoria had a Les Selfide doll. Taglioni left the ballet of Her Majesty's Theater in 1837 and joined the Imperial Ballet in Russia. The Russians loved her, and she had a huge following of ballet manes. Ballet manes were male fans of female ballerinas, like super fans. These guys were so crazy about Taglioni that they bought her point shoes from her last performance for 200 rubles. They had an issue, though. How would the group of them be able to share the shoes and pay homage to their favorite ballerina? Now, you've probably heard of people drinking champagne from women's shoes, so you might think that perhaps they pass them around for a toast. But you would be wrong. This group of ballet manes cut those slippers into pieces, cooked them, covered them in a special sauce, and ate them. Being so enamored by a ballerina that you eat her ballet slippers certainly is odd. Get out. And now, this month in history. In 
in the month of July on the 2nd in 1908, the first black man on the U.S. Supreme Court, Thurgood Marshall, was born. Just as Marshall was born in Baltimore, Maryland and went to Howard University School of Law. In 1934, he began working for the Baltimore branch of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or the NAACP. He began using the judiciary at this time to help get equal rights for people of color. Marshall spent much of his career arguing and winning several cases that struck down legalized racism in the lead-up to the Civil Rights Movement. In 1954, he won the Brown v. Board of Education case. This case ended racial segregation in public schools. President Lyndon B. Johnson nominated him to the Supreme Court of the United States in 1967. He served for 24 years and retired in 1991 and was replaced by Justice Clarence Thomas. The island of Taiwan is located between the Philippines and Japan, about 100 miles off the coast of China. The small island is inhabited by many people who were escaping from the mainland of China, a country that claims to be sovereign over the island. Many nations have held control over Taiwan over the years, from the Dutch to the Spanish to the Japanese to the Chinese. This is a land of indigenous groups that each seem to have their own mythical story of origin, and there are many haunted locations. Join myself and listener Whitney Zahar, who lived in Taiwan for a time, as we share the history, legends, and haunts of Taiwan. Immigrants from the Pacific Islands were the first to inhabit the island of Taiwan. The Chinese arrived in the 1400s, and over the next hundred years, an influx of Europeans came, mainly from Portugal. It was the Portuguese that named it Ita Formosa, or Beautiful Island, in 1517. The Dutch and Spanish followed, but by the 1660s, the Chinese had returned and ousted the Dutch. The Chinese held it for two centuries until the Japanese invaded in 1895. The island would be ceded to China after World War II. Taiwan has faced an uncertain political future from that time, with China refusing to recognize it as a sovereign nation and Taiwan claiming to be an independent country. This is a land that has a lot of different beliefs. There are many myths and legends here and stories that are told, and some haunted locations as well. And I was really excited to have Whitney suggest it to me because I've never really looked much into Taiwan and what's going on there. And it really is a fascinating country. And I'm excited to have Whitney join me. Well, I'm joined by our listener, Whitney Sehar, and she had suggested that we do the Legends of Taiwan, which is really exciting to me because I know nothing about the legends in Taiwan. I don't know anything about Taiwan, really. And so, Whitney, I'm so excited to have you join me. Thank you. It's great to be here, Diane. Well, one of the reasons why you suggested Taiwan is because you spent some time there, correct? Yes, I did. I lived there for about six years, almost seven years. That means you know a little something about it for sure. Well, maybe I do, maybe I don't. It's interesting when you're an expat in another country, you can sort of live different lives there. You can live a life in which you are in a bubble with other expats and therefore don't get to know the culture very well. Or you can totally immerse yourself in the culture. We kind of took both ways, me and my husband and my son. Obviously, since you listen to the podcast, you must be a little bit into the paranormal. What got you interested in that side of things? Oh, man. Honestly, Diane, starting out when I was a kid, I was actually a big chicken when it came to scary stuff. I I actually watched Ghostbusters when I was seven years old and I was traumatized by it, which was pretty funny. But then I started getting more interested in stories. I've always been interested in legends and folklore, uh, especially of ancient civilizations and cultures. 
And I think that kind of gravitated my interest more into ghost stories and legends and the history of things. And I think that's really what got me interested in the first place. So can you tell everybody a little bit about Taiwan? I know that it's, I think, between the Philippines and Japan and it's near China. And I know there's a lot of political issues with China kind of wanting to bring it in and make it part of China and Taiwan's trying to keep itself independent. So can you tell us a little bit about the country? Yeah, I can tell you a little bit. So Taiwan is definitely located off the coast of China. It's an island and it literally looks like a sweet potato. So when you look at it on a map, that's a good way to keep it in mind. And every time I say Taiwan, some people think, oh, how did you think of Thailand? I'm like, no, that's not quite it, folks. That's not where I am. But um, Taiwan has a really rich history. It was initially discovered, um, European-wise, it was discovered by the Dutch and the Portuguese about the 1600s, maybe the 1500s. There is a very active indigenous population in Taiwan, too. Several tribes are around on the island throughout. I wish I had more time to explore that aspect of the culture, but they have some, everyone is different. It's really beautiful. They're mostly, the main language there, of course, is Mandarin Chinese, but they also have native Taiwanese language, which apparently is harder than Mandarin, believe it or not. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. We lived there for about six or seven years, and my husband and I, it was a little hard for us to speak Mandarin, but we did the best we could. My son, on the other hand, was born in Taiwan, and he could speak it fluently. Oh, nice. Go figure. Anyway, so a lot of the Taiwanese, so basically when it comes to the history of Taiwan, you basically have many different cultures there. It's actually more of a melting pot than people realize. Uh, What with the indigenous populations, uh, Taiwanese Hakka culture, and also expats that come and for whatever their reasons may be, whether it's to teach English or missionary work. The Han dynasty, the Han from from the mainland China came over and there was also, the island was annexed by the Qing dynasty, uh, which was the last dynasty of China. Later on in 1895, the Qing dynasty ceded Taiwan to Japan uh, during the first Sino-Japanese war. So for a long time, Taiwan was under Japanese rule. And that's where you're getting a lot of the a lot of the stories and a lot of the different uh, political fluctuations that you see in Taiwanese history. Later on, after the Japanese after the Japanese surrendered during World War II in 1945, the Republic of China took control of Taiwan, and there you have the conflict between China com- Chinese communists versus the KMT or the Kuomintang, the Chinese Nationalist Party, which was led by Chiang Kai-shek. Uh, Chiang Kai-shek also spent time in Taiwan. He actually was trying to establish the government in there. Yeah, very convoluted, isn't it? <laughs> a lot <laughs> well, know, going on. Yeah, I know every so often it, it crops up and it makes the international news that we're having some issues with Taiwan and China versus each other. Yeah, and so to this very day, depending on who you ask, Taiwan is either an independent country or it is under the jurisdiction of, of China. The United States actually pulled out uh, their diplomatic relations, uh, the U.S. Embassy. They actually pulled that out during the 1970s. So according to the United Nations, Taiwan is not exactly recognized as an independent country, yet it has a president, a female president, I might add. Uh, Tsai Ing-wen is the president of Taiwan. 
And Taiwan also is called one of, is part of one of the four Asian tigers, which includes South Korea. It includes, let's see, Singapore and Hong Kong. These four Asian countries represent tremendous growth economically, industrially, and culturally over the middle part of the 20th century, from like the 1960s on up through today. Obviously, this is a land that is rich in legend, as we found with a lot of the Asian countries over there. Absolutely. I don't know where you want to start, if there's different, I don't know, creatures that they believe in or different stories that they tell. You go ahead and start where you want to. Okay, so mostly I'm going to start probably with ghost lore. I think that's where I'll start at. The ghost culture in Taiwan, which you're actually going to find is very similar to what you'll find in China and what you'll find also in Japan in that area. So the main highlight of the ghost lore of Taiwan is called the ghost month. And the ghost month is basically a part of the Chinese lunar calendar. They, they follow the regular calendar too, but for several holidays, they also look at the old lunar calendar that they used to follow. Ghost month would usually fall like on the seventh lunar month, which usually is around August, July or August, maybe even September. It varies each year. So for 30 days and 30 nights, according to the ghost lore, the gates of hell are open and the ghosts of the ghosts of your ancestors are roaming the earth. And you spend that time trying to appease them because some of them have come have left hell hungry and unsatisfied. I'm probably going to butcher the Chinese pronunciations, but I believe the word is Ugui, which means the hungry dead. So Ghost Month is, a ce- it really is a celebration. They actually will set out tables full of food and incense and also paper money that they'll burn as offerings to try and appease the dead. That's actually a really fun thing to witness. And for Those of us that are coming from the outside, it might bear similarity to uh, El Dia de los Muertos or the Day of the Dead in Latin American culture. But the closest thing, I think, in Asian culture that kind of seems similar is the Oban Festival in Japan. It's very similar to that, in which you're paying respects to your ancestors. You'll actually spend a lot of time praying at a temple because you're going to pray to the local temple and ask the local deity to help keep evil spirits away. They actually will do several taboos. For example, during Ghost Month, it's not a good idea to get married. It's not a good idea to look for a new job or move to a new apartment during that time. So, yeah. <laughs> I love how that gets thrown in there. It, it's interesting. And again, you're trying to, the wandering spirits are basically just feasting upon the food that you leave out so they can satisfy their hunger. And then they can leave the people that have offered that meal. You leave, they leave them in peace. So I guess it's just a way to be remembered. That's nice. Yeah. Another good thing, too, is also during Ghost Month, it's apparently a good time of year to donate to charities. Oh, so kind of you get blessed more for doing it during that time then maybe. Probably. They do also have uh, lantern festivals during this time. Uh, The most famous one is in the northern part of Taiwan in a place called Keelung. They have a very very popular water lantern festival. So again, very similar to what you would see in Japan. You launch these uh, water lanterns, and these water lanterns are supposedly guiding the spirits back to where they need to be. 
I love the idea of water lanterns guiding the spirits. Do they yeah. do they do like something with that, like go out in boats with them to kind of mimic that they're leading the spirit somewhere? I actually did not witness that for myself. The problem is when I was actually living in Taiwan, a lot of my movements were restricted because I had a little baby with me. Gotcha. So there were certain <laughs> things I was not able to do. But from what I have seen and from what some of my friends told me, you could probably see people just being on the coast and just launching the lanterns from there. Neat. It makes me think of Tangled, the story of Rapunzel with all the lanterns. Yeah. Exactly. And of course, I really do hope that any other any listeners out there that have either been to Taiwan or have more to elaborate on this and correct anything that I say, please let me know because I'd love to I've been trying to get more and collect more information about it. Yeah, we definitely would want to hear more if people have pictures. That'd be great, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. But another thing, too, is, of course, they're looking at the dead very differently than we do in terms of investigations, you know, looking for haunts and active and ghostly activities. That's not really done quite as much. You're not really seeing a whole lot of paranormal ghost TV shows in Taiwan. I think that's changing. And of course, it's all in Chinese. I think it's aimed with more of a different focus than the shows that we see here. The ghost lore, it's fascinating. There's also lots of several traditions involving, and you might view it as a bit of etiquette. For example, the number four in Chinese, si, is very similar to a word meaning death or something very similar to that. So as opposed to unlucky number 13 for us in Western culture in Taiwan, it's unlucky number four. How funny, because, you know, the number four never comes up as anything. You know, it's like seven is lucky, five might be lucky, 13 is unlucky, but you never hear anything about the number four. Actually, yeah, four would be considered, an. Uh, in fact, they would, in some businesses, you would get like an unmarked fourth floor on the wow. elevator. That's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> not, as mu- not as much nowadays as it used to be, but occasionally if you'll go into some of the older buildings, you might catch that. Eight is considered an auspicious number. A very lucky number indeed. Okay, very cool. Another thing you want to do is if you check into a hotel in Taiwan, you may want to knock on the door before you open it and unlock it. Because apparently by knocking on the door, you allow the spirits that are in that room to leave. Oh, (laughs) and that actually kind of brings me into one of the pop. I would kind of want to tell you about some of the different haunting stories and different haunting legends that I've gathered over the years since I've been in Taiwan. And one of them is actually a a haunted hotel in Taipei City, in the capital city. It is actually a Hyatt hotel. It's located next to Taipei 101, which up until the building was built in uh, Dubai, that was the tallest building in the world. Now it's the second tallest building. The Hotel Hyatt in Taipei actually has some rumors of being haunted. Part of the rumor is the story goes is it was apparently built over an execution site during the time that the Japanese had occupied Taiwan. Uh Now, whether that's actually true or not, I can't really say. Um, The problem with a lot of the stories that I've been looking at is, and you know, like you, I'm a historian. I like to try and substantiate everything and I want to get primary sources, but it's difficult for Taiwan because in number one, a lot of the records aren't are in Chinese. And that was part of the language. I never learned how to read it. <laughs> Oops. 
it's it's a difficult language in the best of times. But uh, the other thing, too, is you're not exactly sure where the records are or where it would lead to you. So it's very difficult to say. However, one source that I actually looked at when it came to the haunted hotel is that it was most likely built on top of what used to be a munitions warehouse. And that was moved uh, sometime during the 1990s. And the hotel was built in its place as part of the World Trade Center area. So you've got this, you know, the Hyatt hotels, they're amazing. Mm This one is pretty cool, too. However, it has certain decorations. For example, in its port corsaire, where the cars are parking uh, right before you go into the entry, they have these huge wind chimes. They're giant. They're they're taller than a person, really. And they're hanging up there. Uh, Wind chimes figure into feng shui as a way to sort of provide good luck and harmony. Oh, sure. Yeah, there's also a lot of fountains in the main lobby, a gorgeous fountain. At Christmas time, they have a tree that literally stretches from the ceiling to the floor. It's amazing. Uh, but they also apparently have these scrolls up. And rumor has it that these are scrolls that are supposed to be talismans to protect against evil spirits. However, some people also say that these were put up uh, when the hotel first opened as a way to bless the hotel for good business. But the stories go that you hear uh, some customers have claimed that they've heard footsteps in the hallways when no one is there, headaches, uh, nauseating some uh, sensations. So those are some of the stories that go about. I've stayed at the hotel a couple of times. I was, I've been there with uh, my family for family vacations, and it certainly is a beautiful place to look at, and it's right in the middle of the city, so there's all this action and excitement there. So maybe that might be part of the energy of the place as well. Really you know, cool even, stuff. <laughs> even if it wasn't on an execution place, just being on top of a munitions place could lend some kind of energy just by the fact that those are there could have been an explosion there at some point. Or these are weapons that are u- used to kill people, kind of like how the Winchester house, they believe people were haunting that because of the guns that were created by the Winchester family. Exactly. That I mean, you never know. That's, the, that's something I really love about ghost stories and the paranormal is you never know. There's always an added layer to the story. And actually, that kind of brings me to something really cool that I saw on television. Uh, Back in 2014, there was a TV series on the National Geographic channel. I don't know if it aired here in America, but it did in Asia. It was called I Wouldn't Go In There. It was hosted by a gentleman who was Korean-American. He was an urban explorer and a blogger. Now, he's not a ghost hunter, But what he did was he would hear reports of different ghost stories and he would go peel back the layers of the history of the place to get to the bottom of where those stories might have come from, as well as exploring the cultures and the superstitions. He went to Okinawa to uh, Kadena Air Base and he also came to Taiwan. He went to a place called Green Island. Now, Taiwan already established it's an island, but there's also little dots of islands that are surrounding the island itself. Some of them are volcanic or they were formed from volcanic activity. Others are formed from coral islands. Well, Green Island is actually really interesting. Green Island was actually a site of a prison, and it was a prison during a period in Taiwan's history called the White Terror. 
And this was actually a very sad part of Taiwanese history. This is when you had, basically it was the KMT that was trying to root out who was communist or who was not. A lot of people were put in prison for it, very similar to what happened in China, very similar to what's happened in other areas of the world during that time. Anyway, the prison there was said to be haunted. However, the cool thing was this uh, urban explorer actually went out there and he investigated the different stories and he was able to peel back the layers of what went on in that island's history. Cool that he was able to do that. Yeah, um, I highly recommend it. You can, funny enough, the episode on Taiwan is actually very hard to find. I don't know why, but you can definitely find uh, the other episodes. Uh, he's been to Okinawa. He went to South Korea. He went to all these different places. And uh, of course, it's a very turbulent area when it comes to the 20th century history with especially around the Second World War. Of course, with Taiwan and Japan and China, you were dealing with the Second Sino-Japanese War, which pretty much covered the span of World War II in the Pacific and all the devastating history and the horrible things that happened over there. That area is just charged. I mean, the turbulent history, the turbulent politics, even going on today, it's just incredible. Definitely. It lends itself to a lot of maybe negative energy. <laughs> well, I'll say this. Living there for about six years, there were a couple things that I noticed and experienced over there that were kind of interesting, kind of different. But never once did I actually feel I was in danger. Never once did I feel like I wasn't safe. And I definitely want to point that out too, because, and not just in the spiritual sense, but also in the physical sense. I've met some of the loveliest people on the face of the earth, and I'm, it's people I'm still in touch with today. Mm. And Taiwan, of course, is a very, it's a very progressive place. I mean, it's encouraging same sex marriage, uh, they have a female president in charge. I feel like it's on the verge of something cool. But also the other cool thing about Taiwan, and I think this is another part of the energy, there's a lot of natural, there's also a lot of geothermal activity going on in Taiwan. It's borders two tectonic plates. Mm. So it's frequent earthquakes. One big one uh, occurred back in, I believe it was 1999. They call it the 921 earthquake because it took place on September 21st. And it was a pretty big one. Uh, they People still talk about it to this very day. But there's also a lot of artistic influences throughout Taiwan. The indigenous cultures that I was mentioning were starting to pay more attention to their music and their dance. And it's really beautiful to see. There's lots of poets. There's lots of artists that are starting to congregate more to Taiwan. And I really hope this is a continuing trend. Sure. Some more stories that I've got. A friend of mine who's, he's a British. He's lived in Taiwan for several years. He's a friend of mine from the art scene and the acting scene in Taiwan. Uh, but he was telling me about a place there called the Beauty Cave. And this is, again, on one of the little islands. It is located on the tip, on the southern tip of what's called Pingtung County. And I'm going to be butchering how to pronounce this. It's called La May Island, but it's also called Shaolucho or Little, Little Lucio. You and said it better basically, than I it's, a, it's a coral island and it's actually Taiwan's largest coral island. But they have some stories here about a couple of the caves which I found very interesting. 
One place was called the Beauty Cave, and apparently the story that's attached to the Beauty Cave is that a woman and her father were, for whatever reason, they were living in the cave. It's a strange story. I, I can't remember if she was actually, if they were fugitives or if it was something else that happened. But um, they were living in this cave, and her father died. And then she apparently, he was a Ming loyalist. So he was exiled from China uh, by the Qing, by the Manchus or the Qing dynasty. And he lived with his daughter in this cave and they were just eating f- plants and fish. When he eventually died, she was just so grief stricken that she bit her tongue off and died. And some say that she, and she was apparently very beautiful. So that's why it's called the beauty cave. Now, whether that's actually true or not, I don't know. But another interesting story involves another cave called the Black Dwarf Cave. Now, the Black Dwarf Cave is actually got a little story from about uh, 1661. The Dutch were escaping and apparently, I'm going to actually read this to you. So it was in 1661, the 15th year of the Yongli Ming Dynasty. National hero, um, he was known as Cheng Chen Kung. He was knighted as Yin Ping King, and he drove the Dutch and restored Taiwan and the Pescadores, or the Pengu area. Now, while the Dutch were escaping, apparently some... Now, they call it Negroes, but I don't think they were actually Africans. I think it might have been something else. They were separated from their group, and they arrived on the island and lived in the cave. Now, some years later, there was a British boat of soldiers that landed at this place northeast of the cave. Apparently, uh, these so-called Negroes uh, robbed their food and other things, burned the boat, and killed all the British. And it was discovered by a British warship that they later landed on the island to seek for the murderers. And in spite of their threats, they refused to surrender. Finally, the British burned the cave with oil and killed everybody in the cave. Later, it was named as the Black Spirit or Black Dwarf Cave. However, a lot of people doubt the actual story here because they were probably related to a local tribe called the Soraya. And they were massacred in something called the LeMay Island Massacre. Mm. So this was when, this was dated about 1636, and it was part of a campaign uh, for retaliation of murder of Dutch sailors in two separate incidents on the island. So now whether that, I don't know who did what to who, but... I was just going to ask, so do you think the Dutch came in and did it, or somebody else? Yeah, or they think that Dutch were actually killed by the Soraya tribe. And then somebody else retaliated against the tribe then? Yeah, apparently. um, In two separate incidents, in 1622 and in 1631. It's interesting. I wonder where they got the idea of dwarf. Were these people maybe smaller in stature? Yeah, I'm actually not sure because, and again, I wish I had done more study and really gotten to know more things about the indigenous populations of Taiwan because it is fascinating. And it's so similar to what happened in Japan as the um, they were looking at um, industrializing and trying to become more westernized. The Japanese government uh, with the Meiji re- reconstruction in the late 19th, early 20th centuries, they actually were writing laws to suppress a lot of the indigenous population and get them to say, no, you're Japanese. You're Mm. not 
Yeah. And something similar was going on in Taiwan, too, I believe, also with the Chinese. But then you also have a history of the Japanese being in control of Taiwan as well. And during the periods of martial law, the Japanese definitely tightened their grip and were really trying to get people to follow their way, especially towards the end of World War II. Sure. And it's really fascinating. I, I just want to sit down and just read, read, read more about it because, <laughs> you know, living living there, you you get a taste of it, but you it's only after when you come, when you leave, you realize, oh, well, wow, so much I missed and I could have just dug more into it. Yeah, you kind of take it for granted when you're there. Also with Green Island, you've got the one that I told you about earlier. It was a place of that was used as a penal colony uh, during the time of martial law. So you just get so many different things there. Again, you're peeling back the layers. Indeed. Do you have a plane that was flying overhead? Yeah, see, here where I live in Virginia Beach, I actually we actually live in the flight path of the Oceana Naval Air Station. Okay, because I was <laughs> so just sitting there going, well, that's a weird noise. It sounds like she's in a tunnel all of a sudden. I know, it's crazy. Anyway. So what other stories do you have for us? Another fun thing that I noticed about Taiwan is I actually was looking at uh, something that came out on September 3rd of 2017. This is from the uh, local Taiwan News which you can get online. Apparently, now that you have people that are getting interested in paranormal phenomenon, so they do usually around this time, around the time of year with Ghost Month, they start putting together lists of the spookiest places in Taiwan. (laughs) Now, one of them, and I don't know if there's actually ghosts there or not, but one of them is really interesting. It's called the Sanyi Resort. And literally, they actually show up on some of the abandoned places websites. They look like UFOs. Weird. They really do. It's it's crazy. It was built because somebody wanted to, the the building planner wanted to do a village of the future, and they built it to look like it. You know, they built it to look like aliens, and it's pretty cool. So in the 1970s, this guy just wanted this businessman just wanted to do it. He just built these chalets and they were called Futuropods. However, in the 1980s, the seaside resort was actually abandoned. There, the weather can get pretty extreme up in northern Taiwan, especially with wind and rain. But also there was a lack of investment. People just weren't interested. And according to local lore, apparently there was a strange streak of suicides and ghost sightings that happened near there. But this place is absolutely abandoned. And you can, some urban explorers actually go there and they go through the ruins. I think they've either been torn down recently or they're in the process of being torn down. But it's called a Sanju, uh, the Sanju Resort. And they do sh- the pictures of them, they show up on these abandoned sites, websites. It's really kind of interesting. A very popular ghost legend. And this is a very famous one. In the middle part of Taiwan, like I want to say it's like a central west portion of Taiwan, there is a place called uh, Jai County. And Jai County is home to the Minxiang Haunted House, the Minxiang Ghost House. Now, this is one of the very, apparently it's a popular place for legend trippers. 
It's a classic haunting residence. It used to belong to a family called the Liu family, who was a landlord during the Qing dynasty. And the story goes, the master of the house and a female or someone in the family and a female servant, they fell in love. Someone found out and abused the servant and the servant just couldn't stand it anymore. And she committed suicide by throwing herself into a well. So after that, they say that the spirit of the servant girl haunts the house and the house is actually in ruins, but it's a huge classic structure. I mean, nature has been taking it over and it's actually really pretty. I personally wouldn't do it. <laughs> I wouldn't go there. I'm, I'm not a very brave girl when it comes through tramping in the woods. Yeah, I'm right there with you, especially alone. Yeah. But the funny thing about it too is apparently there's a cafe that's been set up near the Min Seung Haunted House. And apparently it's a waste. It's a wayside stop for people that go wanting to explore the house. Now, I'm not sure if the house is off limits to, I don't know if people are breaking laws or trespassing or doing anything like that, but people seem to want to go out there. And then we also have a couple of little highway stories. For one thing, there's the Bayi Highway, which is uh, Provincial Highway Number 9, and it connects uh, Taipei to Ilan County, all in northern Taiwan. Apparently, it's very prone to fatal accidents. You, you know, we all have stretches of road very much like this pretty much anywhere. We have one here in my hometown here in Virginia Beach. We call it the death curve because everybody gets into some sort of accident there. So Bay Highway apparently is no different. And what they do is they used to scatter a lot of what we call ghost money. So during ghost month, you actually burn this paper money. It's not real. I promise you it's not real money, but they call it Joss money. And apparently it's supposed to appease the spirits. Being in Taiwan and also in other countries in the world, because I spent a year in South Korea, I spent a couple months in Ecuador, and it's just fascinating to just see what people believe in and even kind of find out that we have so much more in common than we realize. So cool. It's one of the um, things that causes me to believe in something going on in the afterlife or the ghost world or whatever you want to term it. Because when you have all these different cultures that have that similarity, there has to be some kind of truth behind it. They're all trying to explain something. I think so, too. And I think there's more awareness of it. And maybe... I wouldn't say not so much acceptance, but maybe tolerance. Mm -hmm. I, I think people really are reaching out and just seeing what all is out there. And it's not just in the spiritual sense. I also think it's culturally people are trying to reach out more. That's a lesson that we've been trying to instill in our son because we've been spending all this time. He grew up, you know, living in another country. So mm -hmm. to him, the United States is a culture shock. Sure. <laughs> Uh, I, I would totally agree with you. It's neat that he's gotten to see other parts of the world already. Yeah. Um, now, he barely remembers Taiwan because he was born there. He mm -hmm. was We lived there from the time he was born back in 2010, and he's almost eight years old now. Uh, he has more immediate memory, of course, of Ecuador because that was their most recent place. Okay. But we've just taken so many pictures in Taiwan, and there was such an amazing community of people there artists, expats, spiritualists, just all sorts of really cool people. Okay, remember when I posted that thing on Facebook about the Mother's Day festival, about Mother's Day and 
the spooky stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that mothers might have experienced with their kids. Yeah. So the, I have two stories that kind of involve my son, and both are in Taiwan. Uh, the first one, he was about eight or nine months old. I had gone out for the evening. My husband was at home with the baby. And when I came home, it was about maybe 9, 9.30 at night. And I hear my son kind of babbling away in his room. I didn't think anything of it. I thought my husband was in there just sort of doing his thing with our son. Go into our bedroom and I found my husband in our bedroom. So I'm like, who's he talking uh, to? Who's, who's he talking to? And it sounded like, I mean, I'm not an expert in early childhood development. I mean, babies have their quirks, but it really sounded like he was carrying, he was like, blah, 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 blah. It sounded like he was pausing. He was, Mm -hmm. the inflections of his voice sounded like he was actually talking to someone. And so I went in there and he was sitting up at the bottom of his crib and he was looking at this chair that was right next to his bed. No one was in there. He was just looking at it and he didn't seem distressed. He didn't seem upset about anything. So I'm like, okay, all right then. (laughs) I like to think it was probably my father who came to visit or something. That's what I like to think. But who knows? Who knows? That would be quite a trip for him. But I guess if you're in spirit form, you can head over to Taiwan. No problem. Well, my son actually was, he was named after my father. My son's first name was my father's uh, middle name. There is definitely a connection there. The spookiest thing, though, that happened with Preston, my son, was happened a few years later. He was about three or four years old. Now, we know little kids, they get night terrors. It's a pretty common thing. Mm -hmm. I was also experiencing little things in the apartment. Like one time I was sitting on my bed and it felt like somebody had come up and run and jumped on the bed behind me kind of like a little child or an animal or something. And I turned around to look and of course there was no one there. And at that time, Preston was still too little to actually do the run and jump on the bed. And I was trying to explain it away because it's like, okay, we're in a high rise apartment. We're in a place where there's earthquakes, you know, who knows what it could have been. But Preston started having these really weird night terrors and he would just, he refused to sleep in his room. He just would not do it. Finally, I actually had a Taoist priest come in and actually (laughs) purify our apartment. Um, (laughs) He had the incense. He burned money on our balcony. And he said, yeah, you got something here. You got a little kid in here. And I'm like, well, I hope it's not a physical little kid. And he's like, oh, no, you've got another little kid in here. And I never felt threatened in the apartment or anything like that. I mean, I'm sure for a three or four year old, it must have been a little spooky. Yeah. But yeah. after that, nothing else happened. Interesting. So, very interesting. But it was kind of interesting to sort of incorporate that into, you know, saying your prayers and being aware of your surroundings. Sure. I know life is crazy. <laughs> Well, Whitney, I want to thank you for suggesting this and for sharing what you found out from living over there and giving us a viewpoint of somebody who actually has lived there, not just somebody who's maybe researched some of this stuff, but actually lived there and experienced some of it for yourself firsthand. Yeah, it was it was a real experience, you know, just being there. So amazing. And I'm glad that you've gotten to tour around the world. Do you have another country on the list that you're going to be hitting in the future? 
One of these days, my husband actually was telling me that for our 10-year wedding anniversary, we might go back to South Korea because that's where it all began for us. My husband and I met uh, teaching English in South Korea, and we might go back there. Okay. It's so on my bucket list. I want to go to the UK. I, I have to go to England. I got to go to Ireland. I just want to see so many things. Mm -hmm. But for right now, the greatest adventure is getting my kid through American public schools. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely an adventure. I can I can give that to you. <laughs> and, you know, there's plenty to explore here in my home state here in Virginia. We definitely have lots of haunting history over here. But yeah, I'm actually looking at a ghost tour here in Virginia Beach. Um, it's based out of the um, old Coast Guard station, which is now the Virginia Beach Surf and Rescue Museum. It's basically a 75 to 90 minute tour and you can even do an investigation. Oh, yeah. Thank you again so much for joining me, Whitney. I really appreciate it. You have a great evening. Oh, thank you. And thanks for having me. All right. You take care. You too. Bye bye. Bye. There are a couple other places in Taiwan that I wanted to touch on. There's a place called the Dakang Scenic Area. I'm sure I butchered that. It's located near Taichung City. What happened here is there was a family that was hiking along the trail and they were taking video using a camcorder back in 1998. And when they looked back over the video later, they noticed that there was a little girl dressed in red that was walking behind the family. She was not a part of the family. They did not see this young girl on the trail anywhere with them when they were hiking. They shared this video around and it went viral on TV at the time. And it actually became the inspiration for a horror movie called The Tagalong. And I'll put a screenshot in the notes and also up on Instagram that features this little girl. Now, of course, it's not very creepy if you think that she might be with this family. But it does become really creepy when you find out she was not on the trail and she was not a part of their family. That's the only time that she's ever been sighted. So I don't know if anybody's ever seen her again. The haunted house that Whitney shared with us is not the only one there. There are a couple of other ones as well. There's the Worry Haunted House. And a lot of people claim that this is the most horrifying haunted house they have on the island. And according to the people who live there, the legend goes that a female dancer fell in love with a wealthy businessman. And after she was with him for a while, it didn't turn out to be as great as she thought it was going to be, I guess. And she was very disappointed with her life with him. And part of the problem, I think, is he started to treat her very coldly. She felt like he was emotionally unavailable to her. So she felt kind of cheated out of the emotional feelings that she wanted to get from him. She was so despondent that she decided she was going to kill herself. So she put herself in a red dress. She went into the main bedroom and hung herself. Ever since then, there have been stories about the sound of a woman weeping in the house, usually around twilight or dusk, and the light in the main bedroom turns on all by itself, especially when nobody's in the house. And this is also in Taichung City. Then there's the Keelung Haunted House. This house is located at the busiest section of the city, and it is said to be the most expensive house in the city. The architecture is in the Baroque style, and there's a big old banyan tree growing at its roof. Now, back in the 50s, American military members were stationed on Taiwan, and there was a man who was a businessman. He had a lot of money, obviously, because this is the most expensive house there, and he decided to open up his home to the military members, and he set up a bar 
in his house. So a lot of the American forces would come to his house to have a drink and maybe a good time. A bar girl working in the bar was pregnant, and the father was an American soldier. And so she told him, hey, you know, I'm pregnant, probably need to take me back home to America with you, and he refused to take her. Of course, she got very upset about this. And one night she called him and said that she at least would like to have him come by the bar so that she could say goodbye to him before he had to leave. She decided she was going to get her revenge. She set the bar on fire, and that arson took a bunch of people's lives. It didn't just kill the American soldier. It also killed a lot of other people. From that time, many people have said that they saw the bar girl with a half-burned face in the house. Sometimes she's looking out of a window. Sometimes they see her in the house. And there's also green lights that are seen in the windows and coming from the house. Some of the stories get pretty gruesome because she's not the only half-burned person or apparition that people have seen. So there's a lot of burned people that they've seen near this location. And since I've referenced the city of Keelong, I thought it'd be interesting to also share that this is the largest ghost festival in Taiwan. So there's a lot of different cities that have their own celebrations in honor of the ghost festival that Whitney told us about. Keelong has the largest one. There were a lot of clashes here between immigrants and the indigenous people who were here, and there was a particularly nasty clash in 1851, and about 100 people died. So in 1855, they started an annual ceremony to honor the dead, hoping to heal some of the wounds and to prevent future clashes, and that is what developed into the ghost festival that they have now today. And those lanterns that they put out to sea In Keelong, they put one Chinese character on each one of them, and generally it's a family name. And they believe that the farther a lantern floats out to sea, the better the luck that that particular clan is going to enjoy in that year. One of the stories that's told in Taiwan is about the Tigress Witch. As you heard from Whitney, there's a strong belief in different spirits in Taiwan, and many of these spirits are considered to be gods and goddesses. Others were thought to be witches and ghosts. There was the sun god, moon god, earth god, rock god, tree god, and animal gods and goddesses. When it came to animals, there was a belief that some of them could transform into human form and then hunt humans in that form. A woman lived in the mountains with her two daughters. She left for town one day and instructed her girls to lock the door and open it for no one. The two daughters did as they were instructed, but later someone came to the door and began to knock loudly. The girls were afraid when they heard the knocking. Then they heard someone call out, open the door, open the door, I'm your mother. The sisters moved closer to the door and said, you're not mama, you wouldn't be back so soon. But the person knocked harder and called out louder, I'm your mama, I thought you'd be scared so I came back quickly to see you. Unfortunately, the girls opened the door and saw that the person at the door was not their mother. The woman standing there had hair white as snow and her face was wrinkled like a cat. The woman claimed to be their great aunt who hadn't visited in a long time. Never mind that she claimed to be the mother originally. The girls invited her in and led her to one of the rooms to sleep for the night. And one of the sisters joined her in that room. The other girl awoke at midnight and went to check on her sister when she heard strange noises coming from the room that she was sleeping within. The sounds reminded her of someone chewing roasted peanuts or a dog chewing a bone. The sister asked the aunt what was making the noise. The aunt answered, Oh, I'm chewing some ginger roots. They are very hard, hot, and bitter not for children to eat. The girl insisted that she get some ginger roots, and the aunt tossed over a piece, which turned out to be the finger of the girl's sister. It was then that the young girl realized that they had let the tigress witch into their home. 
The girl tried to escape, but the tigress witch called out, You will be my breakfast. How can I let you go? You might try to sneak away. The girl was clever and answered, If you don't want me to escape, why don't you tie a rope to my leg? Then I will have no way to escape. The tigress witch tied a rope around her leg and held it while the sister went to the restroom. The smart girl took the rope off her leg and tied it to a water container and escaped out the window. The tigress witch realized she had been tricked after some time had passed and she tracked the girl to a tree and proceeded to start chewing the trunk. The girl called down, Great aunt, you don't have to chew the tree trunk so hard. I'm willing to come down to let you eat me. The only problem is that I'm so hungry that if you eat me now, I will become a hungry ghost and I will forever follow you and torment you. If you boil a bucket of peanut oil for me, I'll fry some birds here and eat them. When my stomach is full, you can then eat me without any worry. The tigress witch thought this was a very wonderful idea, so she boiled a bucket of peanut oil and sent it up to the girl. After a while, the girl called out, I'm ready to jump down now. Open your mouth. When the tigress witch heard this, she opened her mouth widely, thinking that she would be eating the child. Instead, the foolish tigress got a whole mouthful of boiling peanut oil and died. So that was fascinating to get to hear about the ghost festival in Taiwan. I had no idea that they put on such a big celebration in honor of ghosts. It was neat to hear some of the other legends about a lot of the haunting stuff. So I'm really glad that Wendy suggested this. Are any of these legends true? Are there ghosts in Taiwan? Do some of them hang out for the festivals? Are these locations in Taiwan haunted? That is for you to decide. I want to encourage you guys to check out the website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send me some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. For those of you that are longtime listeners or members of the Spooktacular crew, you might recall that we did a cemetery bingo. I believe it was back in October of 2017. Well, we're going to be doing another cemetery bingo scavenger hunt. This time we're going to do it in the summer. I know some people had a hard time doing it in October because the weather was kind of bad around the country. Some of you guys had snow and couldn't get out to a cemetery. Well, now we're going to do it in the heat of August. So make sure you take a little cooling fan with you and some water with you or go early in the morning or later on in the evening when it's a little bit cooler. But we've set this up for August 11th. That's a Saturday. You have from 12 a.m. in your time zone until 11.59 p.m. in your time zone. So a full 24 hours. Now, I know most cemeteries aren't open that late or that long, but you have that long to fill up your cemetery bingo card. This is blackout bingo. So you want to try to get as many of the symbols on the card as you possibly can. Where can you find the cards? In the Spooktacular crew. If you are a member, over in the left-hand column, there's a list of different tabs there. You click on the files tab and just go down a little bit and you will find all four cards there. You can use any of them that you like. You can print them all off and take them all with you and see which one you get the most of. Generally, the way we verify is you take pictures of each of those symbols. So when you post in the Spooktacular crew at the end of the day and say, hey, I managed to get however many and here's the pictures. The prize is the same as it was last year, a Taffophile t-shirt. You can see that over in the Emporium. We'll get it in whatever color and size you like. If we have a tie... We will break it with the most unique headstone. So if you find some really crazy, neat, unusual headstone out there, take a picture of that too, because that will be your tiebreaker, just in case you end up tying with somebody. Last year, I think we actually gave away two t-shirts because the two people who tied, we thought both of their unique tombstones were really cool. So that might happen again. If you're not a member of the Spooktacular crew, you're not on Facebook, just send me an email at historyghostbump at gmail.com and I will 
email those cards to you so you can participate as well. This is international, so it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you can participate. Again, it's according to your time zone. I also wanted to let you guys know some bad news. The Pottern Love Convention has been canceled for unforeseen circumstances, so we're not going to be getting together in New Orleans. You might have already kind of figured that out based on the fact that I've scheduled the cemetery bingo for the Saturday that I should have been in New Orleans doing the conference, but so kind of bummed that we're not going to be able to do that one and meet up with you guys, but uh, we'll eventually have another meetup in New Orleans. I have no doubt about it. I want to get back to that city again. Absolutely love it. Would love to get your reviews at wherever you happen to listen to the podcast, particularly over at Apple Podcasts. I have a couple of reviews to share right now. 74, 873, and 95. Love your show. Five stars. Hi, just love your podcast. For as long as I can remember, I have loved ghost stories. As I got older, I realized that I was more interested in the story behind the haunting than just the stories about the hauntings. I also love the sections at the beginning of your podcast. Love learning new historical facts. P.S. I love your sections on urban legends and myths and was wondering if you could do one on the hitchhiker ghost. All right. Well, I can definitely, um, I don't know, maybe we could do an episode that would just be all of the different hitchhiking ghost stories because there's about, I don't know, (laughs) several dozens of them around the world. So maybe we will look into the whole urban legend of the hitchhiker ghost. And Freya, 0615, one of my faves, five stars. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind, indeed. History plus haunting makes you want to keep listening. If my high school history classes had been taught this way, I'd have aced my classes. Well, thank you, Freya. I appreciate that. And I would have too. I tell you what, I would have been a hell of a lot more interested in history if classes had been a little bit more interesting like this. I want to thank you guys for tuning into this episode. I have been your host, Diane. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We'd like to welcome into the cemetery, Cheryl Lynn. She's going to be getting a chest tomb. Hey, Mort, please make Cheryl comfortable. She's joined me on the podcast before, so be nice to her, okay? Hi, Cheryl. Here is a flower for you. Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review.